Hello, friends. Welcome to the Daily Volver. I'm Namali Pereira. And I'm Lee Mason. And we are the hosts of the podcast today because Jeff Salzman, the normal host, is the guest. Lee and I recently interviewed him for Practical Integral, our new coaching and facilitation website. And so we thought it would be fun to share that with you. And Amali and I have been using integral theory in our teaching, facilitation, and coaching work for decades now. And we've also been fans of The Daily Evolver for a long time. Over the last several months, we created a series of videos with Jeff to discuss the fundamentals of integral theory. You can find our videos on practicalintegral.com. So here's Lee kicking off the interview. We hope you enjoy. Today, we'll be interviewing Jeff Saltzman, who is the uh, host for the Daily Evolver podcast. And the Daily Evolver podcast looks at uh, politics and culture through an integral lens, so using integral theory to interpret uh, and make sense of current and uh, past political and cultural events. And the tagline for the uh, Daily Evolver podcast is a post-progressive look at politics and culture. And we'll get into what that means uh, later in this uh, interview. But first, um, I would like to start off, and Namali as well, uh, with some appreciation of you, Jeff. Hmm. And the reason is that you've been the podcast host for The Daily Evolver for many years. And one of the things that uh, both Namali and I appreciate is that you've been very courageous and authentic in the way that you are growing and evolving in public. So if we look at the first Daily Evolver podcast, then they're different from the ones uh, from this current period. And one of the reasons that Namali and I see that this is the case is because you allow your perspective on reality to evolve by being open to receiving influence from other people and other thinkers and other perspectives. And um, to me and Namali also, this is very inspiring and, um, and uh, laudable. So um, thank you for being you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, I actually think that that is something that wants to come online as you move into integral consciousness, which is this bigger space that, that is able to hold multiple perspectives, so multiple worldviews. And once you're able to do that, you want to do that. To hold on to a, a, a form is a, the booby prize, in a way, is that I, I realize now that I am an evolving Jeff in an evolving cosmos and everybody around me is evolving too. That's the real realization. That's of the capital R realization of integral is that we see that we're an evolving system. Oh my God. And there, oh my God, isn't that interesting? <laughs> you know, there's something that just wants to open up to this thing is alive you know, and we're being lived. And we can look at history in a way that, you know, we couldn't look at history in the way we can now, you know, in the last 50, 100 years. We just know so much. We can see this ever-evolving saga, actually, that goes back to the Big Bang. And then, you know, that is... Um, well, I guess I could go on, but if, if, just to sort of navigate the, the territory of of what integral is, is that we see integral coming online in two stages. One we call teal or yellow in spiral dynamics and turquoise. And 
The first one is where we start to see that, first of all, we get tired. This is why I call uh, my podcast now Post-Progressive Insights, is that we start getting suffocated by the ideologies that have nurtured us, that have really taken us, taken us uh, some distance in terms of our own evolution. And for me, that would be progressivism. You know, I moved to Boulder so that I could be in the green meme, we call it. And, and I drank deeply of it and still do and want to continue. But that's not all anymore. That's not enough. And so I start being friendly to the earlier systems of modernity and traditionalism and, and things that have been marginalized by post-modernity or green. And I start seeing the truth of them. And so there's this new system of systems that I'm able to see that we call teal. And, um, and that's complexity and all of the good stuff. There's lots of people sort of thinking in these terms. This is uh, the natural next step. Uh, that includes green and all of the stuff, but now it includes more than just green. It includes the whole spiral, we say, of development. I can feel my humanity, in some ways, my identity going back to the Big Bang, but uh, that's a bit much. So that's that teal stage. And then there's the turquoise stage, which is the one that I referred to a minute ago where you think, Jesus Lord, oh my goodness, what's going on here? You know, this thing is alive and I am being lived, and what's next for me? And so you just, I think there's a natural opening where you become, you know, I want to be challenged. I, I want my uh, current structures to be dismantled. I don't want to keep swimming in the same grooves that I had been. And I'm 66, you know. I hope to go out that way. <laughs> but I think that's one of the gifts of Integral, really, is that realization of evolution and, oh, my God, what's next? Nice. So, Jeff, thanks for a sort of um, a very broad uh, perspective on reality that you bring, indeed, to your uh, podcast, but also to um, your conversations outside of the podcast, of course. And... Something for listeners, perhaps, or viewers who have not um, yet encountered you, what could you say about yourself that, um, that could introduce yourself in a way that you like to introduce yourself the most? <laughs> well, actually, it, it's funny. What comes to mind is something, Namali, that you'll recognize. And this is a exercise that you and I did when we did ran the integral incubators. And Namali and I were part of a small team that started Boulder Integral, which was a bricks and mortar. We had an old church and did uh, programs for all, on all kinds of things. And one of the things that we would do to identify ourselves and introduce ourselves was we would chart the 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 moments, the big moments of each evolutionary stage as we lived them in this life, because we, each of us starts at square one as an individual, so does humanity. So we're looking at sort of this collective evolution of humanity, but each one of us starts where it's just learned we wake up into self-consciousness at some point. We, start wanting, we stop wanting to poop the bed, you know, and, and, and then we can see, and there's something, if once you get hip to this system, where we can, there's something that sticks out for all of us as we move from one stage to the other. And so I would just do that very quickly. And that is, I was born into a small coal mining town in Western Pennsylvania. 
And my parents hadn't gone to college and we were a very small town and we lived with my mother's grandmother. And so I lived there for the first four years of my life, my great grandmother's house in a sweet little town. And so I have a nice demarcation at four years old of what happened before and after. And those are pivotal. So this, this age two, three, that's where we're melded with our families. And it starts with mother, father, and it moves out to aunts and uncles. And I had all of that. And that's a wonderful thing. We talked, we actually, before we started recording, we were talking about secure attachments and how helpful that is. And I had a lot of that. And then I realized, so this is my, my first real uh, entry from that sort of tribal in, you know, what we would call the beige or in, in purple or magenta stages of pre-conscious tribal melded with other people. Uh, and, and then there's a self-consciousness that comes online, not just self-conscious, self-consciousness comes on at the beginning. But what happens is ego comes online and I get fully differentiated from family. And we all did that. It's not pleasant. It's not pretty. It's frightening. But I remember the key moment for me was when it stopped being okay for my mother to give me a bath in the kitchen sink in front of her girlfriends. <laughs> I just, I was not going to have that. There was, I remember no problem. And then all of a sudden problem. <laughs> so I remember that. So that's my sort of entry into red. And so then I do that. And that's this first ego stage. And then you sort of, there's a oscillation that happens between collective and agentic or individual and collective. So then after that, I, like a lot of good boys and girls, wanted to be a good boy and girl. And so, you know, I'm Christian. I, I, I learn about Jesus and I feel his presence and I become, I, I move into traditionalism, which is where you civilize that red. And, um, and you, uh, you know, be a Boy Scout or Girl Scout, you go to church camp or whatever it is you do, even Dungeons and Dragons to some degree. It's this kind of thing where you get organized around the the principles of being good and obedient and that the world makes sense and there's somebody looking down and somebody loves me and all, all of that good stuff. So then I become, you know, church camper of the year and whatever, and I'm a good little Christian boy. And then I start learning science. And, you know, it's like, so what's this again about God sent his only begotten son to, does a blood sacrifice to forgive me for my sins? And how's that? What's up with that again? And, you know, I lose my religion as do a lot of people at, as they move into that stage. And, and I would say just as a point of education, we're talking about, you know, how we move forward in different lines and so forth. And what I'm talking about here is just this sort of deep identity or what we call self-sense, where our heart is. And there are people who never leave that traditional, the world is lit up by the love of God, and this, is, this world is not my home, that stage. What a beautiful stage that is. And there are people all over the world and all over the country, where that's where their heart still is through adulthood. And they may move into modernity in terms of functionality and career and so forth, but their hearts are there. But my heart moved forward. I didn't want that anymore. And I moved into a modernist worldview. And like a lot of modernists, I, I fell for the high priestess of modernity, Ayn Rand, and started reading Ayn Rand, Atlas Shrugged, and, and The Fountainhead. 
and she teaches a uh, she she came she escaped communist Soviet Union, and she was so she had this anti collectivist bent, and she talked about these heroic people. And the difference between these heroic people and the people who are always hanging on, trying to drag them down and trying to suck off of them. And so Atlas, that's the whole point of Atlas, these people who are actually building and running the world, these great capitalists, shrug and say, fuck you all. And we're going off and you guys take care of it. And of course, it's a, you know, it doesn't work. So that, and of course, Ayn Rand is also very secular. So religion is ridiculous. And very modern in the sense of aesthetics and leaving all of the bric-a-brac and all of the history behind and going for a sleek, modern aesthetic. And so I remember at age 16, uh, using my lawn mowing money to buy a subscription to her newsletter called The Objectivist for, at that time, $80 a year. And my dad being furious that that's what I would choose to spend my hard-earned money on that I made, you know, $5 at a time. But I was happy to, because that's that, that was my definition. And I became an atheist, and I'm a mouthy one at that, got in trouble at the church, um, and moved that modern thing into college, at what, which point, <laughs> so that Ayn Rand was sort of the moment of moving into modernity for me. Reading the Fountainhead was the first one. So then I go to college, and I can remember, um, like, my sophomore year, I'm still very modern, still very aesthetic, uh, secular, atheistic. Uh, and I go to a friend's house, and she has me sit in the couch. She hands me a joint. And I've had marijuana a couple times. Which there, there it was. And she played Close to the Edge by Yes which is a 30-minute psychedelic rock song, uh, one whole side of an album. And I started that at Orange Modernity, and I ended 30 minutes later at Green Post-Modernity. I literally felt my whole world open, and it was never going to close back up again. And that was a moment for me for entering Green. So most of college, um, drinking up counterculture and you know, anti-capitalist politics and all of the good stuff of green, high sensitivity. I moved to Boulder, Colorado, so that I can marinate in it further and do all of the teachers that come through here and the swamis and the Buddhist community here and um, loved it, loved it, loved it, still do. You know, got my master's degree in divinity at or Indo-Tibetan studies at um, Naropa. It became a liberal instead of a conservative and uh, kissed all of the frogs. But at some point that becomes um, not enough in, in the sense that I, I could remember that I was the one guy of all of my friends who wouldn't and couldn't choose a teacher, you know, the person that I would be devoted to. And because that's what seemed like it was the thing to do at that time and felt what felt like next to me. And, um, but I couldn't, but I didn't until one day, and as I've told this story a million times and I'll tell it quickly, uh, I walked into a bookstore and there was a book on the shelf called Up From Eden by Ken Wilber. And this was probably sometime in the early mid eighties. I don't remember exactly when, but I, that was the moment I entered Integral, that moment. 
before I saw that title, I was green. And after I saw that title, I was, it was like, oh, I get it. Up from Eden. We didn't, we didn't fall from paradise. We haven't done, you know, it, the, we're, we're rising here out of the swamps. And I can see history fall into place in a new way. And by, I bought the book. And, you know, by morning, I knew that I had found my teacher. I had found a, a new worldview. And I was not just fighting a new worldview. Like you're in new territory when you move from one of these stages to the next. It's a whole big four-quadrant affair, if you know the lingo. So um, that was my teal entree. And, um, and I recovered some of my conservative ideas. I opened up to different kinds of you know, ways of seeing God and spirit. I did the sweat lodges and chanted and meditated and all of that good stuff. Beautiful stuff. Fantastic stuff. I uh, still do much of it. And, um, and then one day I was reading a book. Uh, and I remember this. This is the, my moment from, I would say, my move from teal into turquoise. And I was at a park with my dog uh, beside a creek uh, not far from my home. And I finished reading the book, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck, who is, it was the biggest book of its day. Uh, it was on the New York Times bestseller list for 13 years. I think it's got the Guinness Book of World Records for that. It was a very influential book. I actually got to work with Scott Peck later in my life. I couldn't believe it, but I did. Um, and what he does in the book is he makes, he's a psychiatrist um, and a wise man. And he makes the, a, 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 a intellectual case for the existence of God, essentially, for the existence of an organizing, loving principle that is at work in the universe. And I needed an intellectual case for that. I, I couldn't just go there in my heart. And so I remember finishing the book and closing it up and walking home and thinking that was very interesting. And uh, that's about it. had a regular evening. And the next morning, I woke into an um, altered state uh, where I, I remember waking up and I, was wake, I woke out of a dream that felt more vivid than a dream. We might call a vision, you know, these are categories we can sort of think about. But it was the bell of the church of my childhood ringing. And I could see the front of my church and hear the bell of, of, of the church ringing. And, um, and I woke up, and I always think of the line from Carl Jung. It's like, I didn't believe in God. I knew God. Mm. I, I was filled with God. God was everywhere. And so I, that lasted for a couple days. And it's the only time I've really, I mean, I, I've had certainly many altered moments and so forth, but never a sustained thing. And of course, this is well known, and I had one. Hallelujah. And so I never, um, I never went back to atheist. I never was, I was always just lit up by the love of God in some way that was mysterious to me at this point. And it wasn't until years later, actually not that long ago, this is, you know, decades later, where I realized that, wait a second, the church in my childhood church, bell never rang. They didn't, the, the bell tower was closed up. It, uh, they didn't even, I don't know if the bell was even up there, but I never once heard it ring as a child, but it was ringing now. 
And I thought that was an interesting way of looking at that religion of my childhood coming alive in a way that it couldn't have then and didn't and does now that it, the bell's actually ringing. So I know there's more to come and there's a next Jeff and uh, I don't know what it is. And I don't care that much, honestly, because I got plenty, I got plenty on my plate here. I know that in some ways this Jeff will continue uh, in some ways that is mysterious to me. It, he came from somewhere. He, she, it came from somewhere. We all have, we're on sacred journeys in some way that is, I don't know what, uh, that we meet each other is uh, a blessing. We've probably met before. We probably will again. The love we make is equal to the love we take. You know, I'm inspired now by Ken's teaching, Ken Wilbur, who's still my wonderful capital T teacher. Um, we don't communicate much, but, it, you know, I can't unlearn what he gave me. And he talks about that the what evolves what or what continues after this life is one, our realization of oneness. So to the, to the degree that we have realized that we are waves in an ocean. So we're both the wave and the ocean that gets to stay with us. And the second is the sum of our good works and our relationships and the love we make. And so what that does that I am so grateful for is it makes it re-enchants life. It's like everything that happens is meaningful. It's like that sacred journey. It's the hero's journey, I guess. Right. Where every person you meet, you know, think of the fairy tale, the old crone and the, this one crawling out from under the bridge. And, you know, there's awful people that you meet. Oh, my God. They're all there to teach you something. You know, the trees talk, the clouds talk, you know, everything's alive. Uh, you're in the middle of all of it. Everything you do is consequential. It matters to your immortal soul. And, you know, enough already. Uh, this is a full enough plate for me, and I'm gnawing on it as best I can as the daily evolver. I'm the, I'm the guy who's evolving daily and sort of knows it on a good day, you know. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm a, a robot, you know, like most people, but, you know, trying to wake up into this, trying to stabilize it. Uh, and, um, you know, what a joy it is. As long as we define joy as the thing that includes unhappiness and misery and suffering. Well, wonderful, Jeff. And an, another beautiful arc of a story, indeed, uh, of your own life mapped across the stages of development. And perhaps this could also be a good time to elucidate what you mean by the new um, tagline for the Daily Evolver podcast. So uh, a post-progressive um, look at uh, politics and culture because yeah. you've just also described in your own personal life the leap from um, l let's say pre-progressive and progressive to a post-progressive uh, worldview mm -hmm. so could you speak to the yeah. evolution of your tagline yeah also yeah. maybe just a little bit about what got you into creating the daily evolver and what keeps yeah. you going yeah yeah well it's um I think I can answer both of those at the same time uh, by, you know, pointing out that 
when we talk about evolving from one of these stages to the next, and by the way, you can go to dailyevolver.com and hit theory, and you'll get a nice little succinct um, description of integral theory, uh, remedial. But one of the things that is uh, happening, one of the engines of evolution, is that we include what's come before, and then we transcend it. And we differentiate and integrate. So we're always looking to you know, tease things apart and move them from being sort of fused and confusing to clear and then integrating them. And so just using that basic theory, one of the ways forward for people who are at what we call exit green. So these are people who are stably postmodern. They've gotten the memo about uh, sensitivity and, and the, the sins of history and the power dynamics and all of the sham of triumphalists, my race, my culture, all of this bullshit religion being superior. They, they got that. And that's uh, an achievement of history and evolution that is magnificent. And it's not the end. So one of the ways of moving forward is through integrating the stages that have come before that. So we have secular modernity, you know, it's sort of a capitalist and kind of mindless and ignorant, but also tremendously fruitful. And then we have traditionalism, this world of God and country. And, um, and so post-progressive, this move beyond progressive, is some version of befriending those two in ways that uh, isn't natural to green. Green is the antithesis. Green hates businesses the way, uh, the way modernity and traditionalism instinctively hate government. You know, there's that, just that you're either one or the other. You're these two behemoths and you either magnetize towards one and hate the other or the other way around. And so we're, we see that there's a polarity uh, that is particularly green and postmodern green and traditionalism or what we call amber or blue in spiral dynamics they they really these are the two communal memes modernity is kind of the individual meme in between these are the ones that really truly hate each other and one of them and i talked a little bit about it that it's uh the 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 grievance side of the street is the green postmodern where you see the horrors of history and how it's one just nightmare after the other. Uh, that's a history that has to be told. That's a story that has to be seen. And so we see it in green as revisionist hist history, that, that they want to dismantle the stories of traditionalism. So, that's, so let's just set that aside for now and go to the stories of traditionalism. So the story of traditionalism is this heroic story of, and I'll use America, uh, because that's my country, but every country has one. Especially, you know, once you get into postmodern, you can look back and see that that part of the story—it's that that is that triumphalist part. We want to have pride and gratitude for our country and for what it's achieved, because you know you can look at the sins of history and see you know that it's one catastrophe after the other, but you can also see that on the other side of the street, it's this amazing growth of goodness, truth, and beauty. Oh, my God. And that they're both the same. I mean, this universe, whoever came up with this universe was not screwing around. <laughs> I mean, it is uh, one challenge. And so 
But this is the challenge of moving into integral thinking is that we want both stories to be, they're both true. So we want to see that, um, you know, Thomas Jefferson was this paragon. I mean, the Declaration of Independence is a achievement in human history that it was just solidified modernity. The idea of liberty is in my breast. I'm no longer subject to the king. I am a, my own free agent. I mean, it's inspired people all over the world. And he owned slaves. He owned slaves. He bought and sold them. He serially raped one, if you want to, if you, if by green standards, because she was his mistress for decades. So, uh, so which of those? I mean, so these are the, this is the culture war. And Integral asks us to do both stories, to hold both stories. And, um, and that's, you know, it's not rocket science, honestly. But it does require that you move outside your comfort zone. And you let some heresies back in that uh, were verboten. Uh, the sort of God and country thing itself. Uh, Postmodernity is very conflicted about the nature of um, you know, God, certainly. I mean, God's out. Forget God in terms of any kind of a you know, mythic being. Uh, but, um, you know, Green will get into nature spirits and you know it's great green green's doing its thing to in some ways integrate the earlier stages of the culture it's, again that's where you sweat, sit in sweat lodges uh but there's still this thing where the world is you know there's a there's a bummer quality there's a disenchantment of the world that per, that persists in green the modern disenchantment of the world where everything is <clears throat> reduced to material you know to the what we would call the right hand quadrants and consciousness, all of it. We're just, you know, th these are still the the best-selling authors of these science book, Brian Swim and or Brian Green and Sam Harris and you know all of them. We've talked about this. They all have, you know, we're basically big lumbering robots. You know, there's no interiority, and um, I can't, you know, how that is uh, like the, the the law of the intellectual land is is astonishing to me. But at any rate, you know, green softens us up a little bit. But by the time we get into particularly turquoise, you know, the world is fully re-enchanted again. I mean, you can, and, and the great thing about Integral is we can then drink of all these beautiful wells of all of the streams of, of religion and spiritual practice. And we could sit at the foot of every teacher and master in history, you know, to the degree that we can read their writings. And uh, so that's a wonderful thing, and it comes together. It starts flying in formation when we get to integral, instead of just sort of being, you know, sort of a confused, uh, uh, many chasing many rabbits sort of quality of green. So I don't know. I sort of rambling there. Where are we? We were asking about how, what does everything that you just said. That's how I'm assuming what you're. That's what you're trying to communicate through the daily volver. Yeah, we've exactly. asked about daily volver and yeah. um, what caused you to change the name recently. It's just kind of a simple curiosity we were having. Yeah, I, it used to be called an integral view of politics and culture, and yeah. there's a couple things. One is integrals, uh, sort of a a term that's used in a, a particular way among people who are. Uh, 
initiated into integral theory, if you will. And so if you tech, or if you Google integral, you get integral yoga, you get integral mathematics. It's mm-hmm. a little bit confusing. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted something that was, um, you know, an easy on-ramp to what I'm talking about, which is this post-green, we hear post-postmodernism, we hear metamodernism. There are a lot of people who know, I mean, it's, people know that there's something next coming in a way in their, in their gut. And again, I see this, you know, when we talk about progressive, generally we mean politics, but we also know uh, that it means culture. There's a progressive culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that green culture that went from Andy Griffith you know, to MASH and all of the family and that we could feel that move to green. Uh, and, uh, and so there's, uh, you know, the, the post-progressive describes something that's moving beyond that in terms of culture too. And so I like to look at movies that I consider to be integral um, or, you know, look at movies and cultures and TV shows and so forth, as well as politics. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Um, so we have a bunch of questions that became up for you today. Cool. Um, and I love, you know, obviously we're getting to see the classic Jeff and, you know, what is simmering inside of you constantly. It's really delightful to see that. Um, what I'm, what I'm sometimes really fascinated with you is that you're, you're so hooked on, you're so plugged into this that you kind of get into a flow state with, with this integral and post-progressive or the world in general. I think your, your thinking is very fascinating to look at and how you express that. And it's like you can't really help what you just did all this time. Right. No. <laughs> you can't really help it. That's just how you show up. Exactly. Yeah. So we, because we know that you can be like this, we also wanted to just ask you some really simple other questions that are maybe perhaps, who knows, you may not be able to unhook yourself from integral because you're so plugged in in that way of expressing yourself. But so to the degree that you want to go, go in a goal or not is totally up to you. And we would welcome it either way. But we have just some simple curiosities around who is Jeff really? Yeah, right on. Yeah. So one of one of one of my kind of questions that I want to um, pose to you is really simple, but we're both really curious about is as who you are today. Um what is something that has happened significant in your life that you feel like it just changed you as a human being? Hmm. That it just fundamentally, I'm not going to be the same anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. Uh, if I could just go back to how you introduced this question is to what degree can I think do I just naturally think integrally Mm -hmm. and uh, to what do I, do I, um, you know, or or what is it to not or whatever. So I I just, I I just naturally have an integral answer to that. And Mm -hmm. that is, I mean, to a certain degree at this point in my life, I'm 66 and I'm retired. If you will, I do this podcast and I do my garden and I kind of like to stay home anyway. So, you know, the, the social distancing is not really a big challenge for me, you know, 
But uh, so what I, what I have the freedom to do is uh, look at everything um, in terms of how it's changing me. And, and, and I feel like, um, for instance, if I look at my edge, my, my personal edge of growth over the last couple years, even since I've done the podcast, it's actually in many ways an increase of my uh, green consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's more of the understanding of the karmas of history regarding women. I mean, I treat women, think about women differently now than I did before Me Too. I think we all do. I mean, that's the other thing is I see that in the culture at large, is that there was some gauzy filter of that's a woman that I saw every woman through. Instead of, you know, windshield wipering that a little bit and seeing, oh, okay, I see you. And, you know, the woman thing recedes. And that's what we all want. And, and I'm being a gay guy. I, I always think, God, thank, I mean, I thank God I can kind of like float. I don't want to always be the gay guy. You know, I'm the gay guy, but I don't want to be the gay guy. And so it's a relief to me with uh, people of color, women, all of them, the, the, this new ability to see through the conditioned mind, basically. They're just habitual mind. And it's not just habitual mind, it's habitual heart and gut. You know, we, we feel that all the way up our central channel, that there's a widening and saying, oh, I see you. You know, I get this. I always love Emerson's line. I've used it a thousand times, that each church has a congregation of one. You know, each one of us is a universe in and of ourselves. So I want to do that and um, and really practice um, what it is to, it's just like last night. So my friend, and you know her, uh, Namali and Michelle, <laughs> she has a, her, her garden and I have my garden and we are garden buddies. And she has the an, an attitude about her garden and she's she's one of the people that i know who i would consider to be a spiking in the line of aesthetic genius in a couple ways culinary and gardens are two of them where she just has a natural genius in these two areas uh and her thing is to just let it be and let it go and the critters need to have a space and uh and, and realize so i'm walking around this garden that I, I did. I, I just, they're out there working on it now, uh, finishing it up. And I have put all kinds of new things in and I'm moving from uh, that attitude. I used to have the attitude of let it be and, and we don't want to imprint on nature and, and that sort of thing. And I grew up, uh, I grew up in the woods and I grew up with weeds along the country road and everything's a thicket and everything's jaggers. And I realized at some point, I don't want that anymore. I want things that are manicured. I want shapes. I want the palace of Versailles, for God's sakes. I want the, you know, I want that kind of, I want a city garden. I don't want to let it go. So I'm showing her my garden. And she's sort of coming from her thing about just let that be and don't, don't do much. And I feel my, I feel my resistance to it. And I want to argue. And so here we have, this is this life, right? This is worldviews collide. And this is welcome to humanity, especially at this stage of development. And I 
deliberately noticed, or I noticed it, and that's all you can do. That's what only practice gives you a better chance of noticing it. It's not a sure thing. But I did. I noticed what I was doing, and I deliberately relaxed it, and it's not that hard once you do it a few times. It feels like you're going to die because you are. Actually, this hardened, you know, uh, clenched part of you is going to die. And I let in her worldview, and oh my God, hallelujah. I mean, I felt like I, I, I experienced my garden in a whole new way where she was right in a fundamental way about the garden, where she was actually seeing it more as an evolving unit than I was. I was playing with it, with it as if it was an ikibana, you know, forever there. And she was actually seeing that dimension of movement, which is what we're after at Integral. We all want to see the movement and everything. Everything's a verb, you know, at Integral. And she, but she had that, and I didn't about this garden, my garden. And so uh, that's the, and I can feel it even now in my, my, my sort of a warmness of, and also a fear in my body. I feel both those things. And this is, you just, you start getting hip to what that is. And so now I feel like I have, and, and this is, you know, we, we often think, so we, we get these polarities, these two dueling worldviews, and then we have an integration. What does that actually mean? And and here's and it has to have a felt quality, and so and I'm feeling it. I feel like I let that in from her, and I breathed it in. And this morning, I felt like I walked into an even more enchanted garden because of it. Yeah. Well, something like that. That's that's what's changing me. And and other you know, I big events. I mean, Trump. I just he changed me too. You know, every everything changes me. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's okay. Uh, and I'm, uh, that's what turns me on these days. Nice. Thank you. Okay. Well, another excellent story, Jeff. And, um, <laughs> um, thanks for providing us with insight into not just you, but also your experience in real time of reality. Yeah. My pleasure. It's fun. So moving on to a different type of question. Um, and more, one more related to imagination and history, because I know you are uh, quite a history buff um, and that you're well-versed in um, history of many places of the world. So the question I, I would like to put to you is, if you could travel as a passive observer, so you can't influence anything, but if you were, could travel to one moment in history, which moment would you choose and why? Oh my God. <laughs> well, as long as I, I mean, I wouldn't want to be, be in any of them really in, in a certain way. I mean, history is, was, is dangerous. You look back on human history and do what I want to walk down the streets of Rome. And I'm not so sure, you know, but here's, here's what came to mind when you said that. And it's a new documentary on dogs, and it's a very well done in a sort of a new way. I, I think it actually is worthy of uh, integral consideration in terms of the aesthetic. It uses both reenactments and uh, hard history and statistics and sort of these world maps, and it charts the evolution of the dog. And the evolution of the dog, here's where I would like to go to answer your question of the moment in human history. And so here it is. So we have human beings and they're living in bands 
and a band's maybe 20 people, and it's a hard knock life. And they have fire, and they are, you know, good enough hunters and the gatherers. And it's so there's the humans, and then there's the wolves, wolves. And, uh, and there's a she-wolf, there's a female wolf that is not making it in the, the pack. And she's shy and she can't get in there and, and eat. And they try to let her, but then some of them won't. And there's this whole thing that happens with wolves where there's sometimes an ejection of a wolf from the pack and it's a sad thing. Uh, but this she-wolf was just, there was just something that in, that, in that time, in that moment. And this may have been happening around in different places. But she sort of decided she was going to try her luck with the humans. And so she goes to the human camp and gets a scrap. And one thing leads to the other. Um, it reminds me of a meme I have. Uh, and it's, I passed it around and people have passed it back. I think I probably said it to you, Namali, and it shows a, a wolf in one panel and saying 20,000 years ago is, is the caption, 20,000 years ago. Well, you know, maybe I'm going to try my lot with the humans. How bad could it be? And then the next panel is of a pug wearing a knitted uh, birthday cake on its head. So... Uh, <laughs> So that's how it, that's how bad it could go for the wolf. And, uh, and so that moment in history where the first canine, where the full first wolf joined the humans uh, is a time I would love to see that would, that would, that would warm my heart. And what, 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 what we have done with dogs and in, in the creation of dogs, that's talk about the, the emergence of goodness, truth, and beauty. There's exhibit a. Uh, is the dog. Uh, that's the other side of history, you know. Uh, but you can see that, and this is another thing that I, I can see, and people comment on it, I'm not the only one by any means, uh, that there it seems to be just moments in human history where it's time for the wolves all over the place to approach the humans. And then there's a time in human history where all across the globe, including in uh, the Americas, people start cultivating plants, and they, they you know, they, they, that just was time. There was a morphic field that was emerging, and then there's a time where the power gods are no longer that interesting, and they don't really seem to work that reliably anyway. And you realize everybody, or all around the world, there's a transcendent god in the sky, or there's a transcendent state, Nirvana, which is, you know where we, that, that, that is sort of interpenetrated with reality. And, and there seems to be these moments in human history that where it just wants to happen. And so that moment of the wolf, the she-wolf uh, entering the, the circle of the fire, that's the moment for me. Mm, well, thanks, Jeff. I'm actually curious about the, the entry to the time when these certain these animals and the human integration might have happened is what you talked about yeah why are you curious about that particularly because well, it, it's such a new world that opens you know and this uh, and it also shows something that is i think comes online at integral in general is the this realization that animals are people too mm -hmm. 
and that and actually tribal people had uh, an indigenous you know our, when, back when we were at that stage we humans we saw animals as brothers and sisters and you know that, that we had a quali- that we they, they had a, a a self to them uh but uh, and we were melted it was all you know the spirits were just flowing between them and us in ways that uh, actually want to come back online now mm-hmm. you know this is the integration of that and we're seeing that with uh i think animal the the realization of animal suffering is almost too much to bear for humans uh, but it's 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 like the i was it's funny i was reading the new york times this morning as i have done every day for 30 40 years and um they always talk about the most read article of the day before. And so yesterday's most read article was, I forget the name of it, but it's by Jonathan Safran, F-O-E-R, Fewer. He's a novelist who wrote a book called Eating Animals. And it's basically, the, the title was, It's Time to Stop Eating Animals. And that is, um, you know, you're a vegetarian, Namali. i uh, omnivore. I am working on it. I'm a terrible hypocrite, uh, but I am getting more and more, uh, even in the last, you, t- you talk about things that have, in, you know, what's really influenced me, what's changed me. Well, it's like this polarity that we're talking about. It's like, sometimes you got to, uh, you know, clarify this, the, the frothy edge on one side of the polarity and really get into it so that you could have a, an expansion into the other. And I have always been the guy who um, I can't watch animals suffer. I can go buy their meat, you know, wrapped in cellophane, no problem. And I think it's delicious. And I have all kinds of wonderful recipes. And I have the sort of arrested at traditional palate. You know, I want what my mother made. That's what I want to eat. You know, so I have that. But I also now... Have this thing where I can't see animals suffer, and so there's this terrible sort of confused, guilt-ridden, uh, subject to you know um, compulsion, you know, doing what I don't want to do. Uh, th- you know, that's a whole thing. A lot, a lot of people are struggling with this. It's it's something that happens at this stage of development. We want to actually see that and welcome it. But it wasn't until um, I, maybe a week and a half ago where my friend Maria sent me a video of Esther the pig. And it's this, Esther's the, this pig that these two gay guys got. They thought it was going to be a mini pig. It was actually a big farm sow. And they fell in love with it. And so they had to change their life to accommodate Esther. Mm-hmm. So this, what she sent me was a TED talk of Esther the pig, and there's a whole thing now. They have the Twitter and the Facebook, and the whole, they have a farm, and they get money. It's great; they're fabulous. And Esther, I think, is still with. She has a she has a, a emotional support turkey. I forget what her name is, but she's also loves to be hugged and kissed. And it's mm-hmm. like, so I saw that, so I could see that, but I still can't see the suffering part. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the TED talk, these motherfuckers put in a couple images that surprised me of pigs in industrial settings where they're not seen. There's no thou there. There's their its, their units of production, their meat factories. And, uh, and then even the execution. And there was a couple images of that. And I was shocked and 
outraged and um, and I saw something I didn't want to see and was not willing to see. And I and, and since then, I've had my slip ups, but I'm doing way better. A whole new consciousness to um, uh, eating meat. And, you know, this thing at New York Times, these are the things that change me now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there's more to come. I mean, the big thing, you know, the changes all of us, I think, is when we get the diagnosis, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or <laughs> the piano falls on our head. Yeah. But <laughs> in terms, short of that, you know, what we could do is just look around our life. What, what's, what, what wants to be known that we're not willing to know? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's actually we could look at you know Damali, and I think you too, Lee. You know, you said so much therapy, so much coaching. You are a therapist, you're in your own right, and coaches. That that's a lot of what we're doing with is, is helping people see what they're unwilling to see. You know, mm-hmm. and um, that is the one of the uh, engines of evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've watched you over a couple of years now, where you have this kind of puzzle around Tor- torment yeah yeah i've watched you a little bit around yeah, that. yeah 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 you, you know my parenting strategy for my dogs in the molly is that they never have an unpleasant moment yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right it's not that great actually but that's it yeah yeah <laughs> so uh, another question that comes up for me is um uh, Lee, is it okay if I ask a question right here? Of course, of course. Yeah. Um, so something that I've been really curious, particularly about you, Jeff, is something that you're really good at because of your integral orientation is that I think you have a natural inclination, even as a type five on the Enneagram, who is fear-driven in many ways. You really kind of, you really show uh, through your podcast, through conversations that you have with us, that you have a very a positive orientation somehow. Yeah. That you kind of continuously see, um, and you understand that something going wrong is just how it's going wrong. It's just a part of the evolutionary process. Perhaps it may be very unfortunate, but that's what's happening. So in that, sometimes I also struggle a little bit to understand where your actual, whether you actually have a true deep concern also. Like, because you seem so positive often, and me being the Enneagram 4, I sometimes want to like drag out of you. All right, Jeff, like, come on, like with integral, you seem to think that everything's going to be fine in the future and everything that's going wrong is just a part of the process. Mm. So I get that, but I also want to know, I'm really curious to know from you. So what are you, does anything really like concern you deeply, break your heart deeply? Like what actually especially looking at emergence and the future and what we are potentially walking into. What's a deep, deep concern for you? What's a yeah. deep heartbreak for you? Yeah. Well, in a way I would sort of reframe the way of thinking about it mm-hmm. is that I don't think everything's going to be okay. I don't even consider myself to be an optimist, honestly. Mm-hmm. I just, I, 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 what I want to note 
is the updraft of evolution. Not because that's all there is, but just because nobody else is doing it. You know, everybody's got some complaint about how the world is and some version of this shouldn't be happening. It's awful that it is. I can't stand it. And somebody needs to be blamed. You know, that's the whole cascade of that. I feel that way about all kinds of things. You know, lots of things are absolutely outrageous. That the poverty exists, that there are people struggling to eat, that there are um, that all of that is absolutely outrageous. Uh, The elephants, you know, the uh, the poisoning of the environment, the mindless modernity and capitalism and the forests and all of that stuff. I mean, I, um, I remember living in Florida and, and there's just growth everywhere. And, uh, you know, it was the kind of growth where what they would do would just basically bring bulldozers in mm-hmm. and just bulldoze the whole forest you know, and trees and swampy, whatever, and, and build, you know, a parking lot and a CVS and a bank. And, and watching that, as much as I then went to the bank and ate at the restaurant and that became part of my life, the, the heartbreak, it, again, this is the hypocrisy that I want to, maybe I do hide in it. Maybe it's part of my privilege that I don't have to see it. It's part of my fiveness that I don't want to see it. Uh, but I get it that it's there. And it's all heartbreaking. And what is more important than that to me, though, is that there's this other thing going on that is not talked about enough. I'm not going to say I'm the only one talking about it, but there is an updraft. I mean, if you want to look at the emergence of green consciousness on the planet, it was brought forth because of World War II and the ultimate ruination of all triumphalist stories about race, religion, all of the conquest, all of it, which it burned out of the human system. Well, that was somewhere between 50 and 75 million deaths. Every one of them a story. Every one of them a universe. And so what I notice is that postmodernity came online. Uh, because of that, and that there is a, there's, there's, it's like the evolution of goodness, truth, and beauty is actually brought forth in the world by their opposites, by things that are ugly, untrue, and bad. And that's also true of, you know, what they say, nature is red in tooth and claw. I mean, all of these wonderful animals They ain't so great with each other either, actually, if you want to look at the wild. And so, you know, the the way God kills animals is he has something run them down and eat their stomach out while they're still alive, because that's the best part. It's half digested. You know, that I mean, that's how God does it. This this is a horrible universe in many ways. And this gets me to something that I think is also important, that there's a spiritual side to this. Where on one hand, um, you know, this is where it is sort of an expansion to the Big Bang. The whole universe is a big roiling cauldron of things coming and going and suffering and being burned at the stake and, you know, hitting. I mean, if, if you look at, like I said, human history, if you can imagine it, we've done it to each other. 
and what we still do to each other. And there's sort of, um, in a way, uh, this is integral. There's, there's two streams of sort of spiritual ways of dealing with that. One is what we loosely call Western and the other is loosely Eastern. One is sort of transcendent and realize that uh, I'm bigger than this. I, I don't have any preferences. I can live or die. I can, suffering is the same as joy, uh, praise and blame, gain or loss. All of that stuff is ephemeral. I come and I go, and yet there's something that transcends all of this. And so that's been a great sucker to me. You know, that's that Eastern thing. And then the Western thing is that I live on in this identity in a way that enables me to forgive all of it. And I, I remember listening to an Anglican priest talk where he, he said that maybe it's this way, that a little child who is tortured in this life, like the worst thing we can think of, that what, what God would allow that? What, what's that about? And, and that maybe what it's about is that that child actually gets, through living and growing, gets to forgive their perpetrator. And that there is an expansion of consciousness, that, 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 that loving, flowing forgiveness. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know if either of them are satisfactory to explain the suffering of this, of this world. But in some ways, I feel that the complaints that we have about the world are also ways of not feeling it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I'm doing my best as a kind of, you know, hard-hearted five. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you have to give me a little break. And, yeah. uh, you know, I like to think my feelings. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, it was nice to hear you to speak about that. Somehow I, there was something in me that felt like I want to hear you yeah. Was that satisfactory or is there any part that's still glitchy or because, you know, God bless you. You have a different, bring a whole new stream of namaliness to the picture. And I wanna... Well, it's just, a, it's, it's nothing that is a right or wrong answer to any right. Exactly. Yes. Know, there is none of that. And we're all different and we all experience the world differently. Um, but sometimes I have that curiosity just uniquely about you. It's mm-hmm. like, how... Sometimes I feel like I'm not sure how I feel your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to hear a little bit into that. And I was kind of going to just post that question mm-hmm. completely out of curiosity. Not ever. I, I don't think I have ever doubted that you care deeply. Mm-hmm. And, that, and I have seen your heart breaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no doubt mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, it's a heartbreaking place. Eesh. So, Jeff, the last question is, if you could give people one piece of life advice, what would that be? Well, yeah, to, um, you know, this is a practice. You know, this idea of getting bigger, of seeing more, of challenging your conditioned mind and all your sort of, um, you know, grooves of thought and not just thought of feeling. You know, all these ways you are sure you see the world. Just as thought experiments, let other things in, let other feelings in. Uh, And I say, this is a practice. 
So the and I love the definition of practice. I forget where I got it, but you know, you pick these things up. But practice is the thing we do to be faithful, not successful. And that's just, I love that because faithful to what? Well, faithful to, and this is I got from you, Namali, faithful to the one thing that you can believe in, emergence itself. Yeah. You know, so faith in the capital E emergence. And so I can participate in that. And I can look from a bigger view and not just my narrow view or not just, you know, what's going to happen in November with Trump and Biden. You know, we care, we do our part, but we don't have to marinate in that. We don't have to contract around that. We could have a bigger view that sees that, yeah, the world is unraveling, the world's gone mad, but compared to what in history, first of all, and that we can also see that the world's actually getting saner in many ways, that there's a great raveling that's happening. It's not just unraveling. And in what ways is it raveling? And, and also and for me personally, you know, how am I raveling? And as well as unraveling, uh, you know, do I, was I supposed to stay 12? You know, did, did I think that, that 14 was going to be better than 12? It's actually many ways worse, but there you go. And then, you know, you, you don't like 14, try 24, you know, and onward. It's, it's, <laughs> so that's the nature of evolution. It's just growth is, uh, you know, it's uh, treacherous. But that's what we have. And so I encourage people to do that as a practice, not so you get it, but just so you take another little uh, thousandth of an onion skin off of the straitjacket you're in and, you know, breathe a little bit. So that's what I'd say. <laughs> and have a laugh. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, it's always good to hear from you, Jeff. Thank you for joining Lee and I. We we really enjoyed um, having many conversations with you, and yes. um, you offer a lot, uh, and you you give so much. You're generous with with what you do often. Thank um, you. So, my I wish my little Duncan was here. He would love to see you. Oh, my little Dunky! Dunky is my dog's his cousin. And yes. he comes and visits, and we spend many days together. Yes. Thank <laughs> you again. So, yes. actually, uh, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure to be with you, and I'll continue this conversation with you anytime. Uh, both of you, I really admire and respect. And, and I'm curious what's up with you guys and what you're doing, and um, maybe I'd hear a little bit about that while I got to both of you. Yeah. Well, for me personally, I'm just, I'm, uh, you know, managing the COVID situation as best as I can, as far as, you know, you know, all the, I am lucky that I'm doing a lot of coaching right now. I, I, that's keeping me busy right right now. So I'm very grateful to that. And, um, some Lee and I are still working on our website, which is where this would probably end up, but we're very close now. And so, yeah, and then Donkey and I are still managing a few hikes, and we still use our mask, and and uh, and it's also really uh, fun that uh, uh, Lee. Uh, I think I might have mentioned to you, Lee. Jeff and I went on a hike recently, and Jeff oh, took us. Where well, you got lost? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were just going. It was so funny. Nice to end this call on this topic where Jeff eventually ended up telling me, "Never listen to me." <laughs> yes. 
I mean, it was terrible that you <laughs> followed me. And, and, and this is another thing, and this is part of you know, what we were talking about before, Damali, is I'm not actually that great in the actual material world. I'm so much better in the world of my own mind. Uh, so follow me there, maybe. But that was a fun not adventure. In the real world. That yeah. was a very fun adventure. <laughs> the three little dogs in grass that was way taller than three oh, little dogs. Oh my god! Yeah, that. we were walking in a dry creek eventually to to escape. Uh, yes, yeah. just west of town. I mean, I've, yeah. I've only lived here forty years. You have to forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> so know. yeah. All right. All right. Next, my dear friends. Yes, indeed. See you the next time. Thanks, Thanks, everyone, for watching. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. See you next time.